Do not confuse this with treatment or mental health advice or direction. Nothing on this podcast is made to supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your mental health caretakers. Although David Kozlowski is a licensed marriage and family therapist, he is not functioning as a certified mental health professional in this environment. But same applies to any professionals who may appear on the Light the Fight podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to the final episode of Light the Fight of 2021. <laughs> Some of you may have gotten worried in that pause. Some of them may, may have been like, thank goodness they're done finally talking. Hopefully more of the, the, the former, not the latter. Usually we're only done talking for about a week. Yeah. So no, but this will be our last episode of the year because next week, um, it's the week after Christmas holidays. No one, no one really likes to work or do anything like that after that. So even though this isn't much work for us, we're going to take a little break. We'll see you in the new year. But for now, we're going to go over this past year and just reflect upon almost like a, a digital. We're going to do a podcast. Uh, Heidi, I should have told you before this. I just came to my mind. We're going to do a, podca- a podcast scrapbook. That's what Hey, we're I- I'm ready. Actually, I just, yes, I just pulled okay. up my information and, um, I mean, you guys know that I document daily slash weekly slash monthly. So I can go back to any day and tell you exactly, you know, what we talked about, um, what's going on. And that's, you know, if you guys, if anybody wants, if you're interested, just get right into my stuff, the blur class. It's really That's right. (laughs) And you guys know the real reason why Heidi goes back and details all the episodes is because she's got to prepare herself when people stop her in the parking lot. So she knows what they're talking about. So I said, what? Okay, wait, what day was that? Let me know what day was it. Let me rewind that. Actually, it's amazing. I mean, I have a really bad memory, but but it's amazing how much I can remember what we talk about. Um, But what happens is kind of dates slip. And so um, to start out with, as we kind of just look back on this year in review, interestingly enough, last year at this time, something really big started to happen. And, and it's kind of all part of the ongoing um, trajectory of, of what m- my intention, what my dream was for Light the Fight um, and this and this podcast, which was to amplify David's message outside of his little um, office that causes people to to really shed their emotions. But we were invited last January, right at the very beginning of the year, by the Hatch um, Foundation to talk about like what 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 we thought needed to happen going forward and and i'm like i'm i'm pausing a little bit here in my in my phraseology because it's it's just interesting what has happened in one year right the the change of dynamic the pluses and the things that we've learned but but all kind of it was so exciting last year to get invited to be on this forum talking with senators with the director of um what was 
what was his uh, what was his main title now i can't even remember i'm gonna have to go back Former to the memory Mayor, fund yes yes yeah. ajit hey, Brandon. Um, yeah and we talked about um what we thought public policies could look like in order to improve mental health um on the federal level and it was really an interesting conversation and it gave us david and i an opportunity to um work with a writer at the hatch foundation to put out an op-ed, which was, at the time, I didn't know what an op-ed was. But um, last year, and, and so the name of it was The Fight Against Suicide Starts in the Classroom. So, David, why don't you talk just a little bit about, um, you know, from last year. So that, that op-ed came out last year, February 9th, almost a year ago. Um, maybe comparing and contrasting where we are right now on that notion. Yeah. Well, back then it was, uh, it was, it was exciting. Like you were saying, Heidi, to talk to people about, you know, our, our, our just kind of a new branding of the solution of the mental health crisis that's happening with youth and within families and within communities. Cause it's, it's easy to look at, all the scary statistics of how many young people are dying, how many kids are attempting suicide on a day-to-day basis, the increase of self-harm, depression, anxiety, all these things. It's, it's, it's actually really easy to kind of get so like it's punch drunk by all these statistics where you're kind of like wobbling around going, whoa, it's like mind blowing how bad these things are getting and, and how much it's increasing year to year. I think what happens is it get it's so easy to get stuck on these huge statistics and the huge problems. It's hard to separate yourself from that and come up with new ideas and new solutions. And so when we talked about it, it was the very first like big public introduction we had to this concept called social health. Now, for a long-term listener, long-time listeners here on the podcast, we've mentioned social health many times, sprinkled throughout the years. Um, my curriculum is called social health curriculum. And so from February till now, it's gone from putting together, you know, what it takes for schools to have a social health curriculum, me being in my second year teaching this social health curriculum at Harriman High School, to now certain communities like Pleasant Grove is talking about the talking about it in their in their newspaper. They do a social health um, piece every month. Um, schools that we've talked to even recently are now saying, how how do we get this curriculum into our program? People are starting to see that oh in order to create new solutions, you have to have new branding. And it, it's kind of weird to think of like branding the solution separate than the problem. But the problem was kind of getting stagnant in the same conversations over and over again. And Heidi's talked about this. It's like, she gets tired of talking about suicide. Even though you're thankful that you can help people and you can talk about this much needed discussion, it seems like it becomes such like a heavy discussion that even though talking about it, I think two or three years ago was our goal. Now we have to evolve that goal to now, what are we going to do about it? Now that we're all familiar now, now we're more comfortable talking about it. How like just suicide in general. Now, how do we create a solution? So starting new conversations. So from last February till now, we went from introducing social health as a concept and as a potential solution to now get like piecemealing it into communities and talking to businesses about social health schools, administrators, teachers, and now students. And so I think 2022, I think when we come to February, we're going to have a 
a number of schools that are online wanting to implement not just the curriculum, but just the terminology and just these types of conversations so we can have a different outcome versus just talking about how bad things are. Well, and, and I really saw it for, for me, you know, we've been doing our, our don't freak out event um, now for the last few years and we just had one and, and um, we talked about that a little bit, but it was actually not the same. And um, it was fun for me kind of as a little bit of an onlooker um, when we kind of adjusted the sales a little bit on um, what we were presenting. And we got into a little bit more of the social health health concept. And David brought up um, a study that was recently released by um, a couple of universities, including BYU. I can't remember now, David, who the other universities were. Harvard. Right. So just kind of overview why you wanted to tie that study into our Don't Freak Out event. Yeah, because in this study, they, they came up with an algorithm that with 91% accuracy was able to, to depict four specific categories um, that were present with youth, specifically teenagers, when they're having suicidal ideations. And um, like, what were the common factors in their life? And the top four, and they didn't give it any specific order, but the top four, um, two of them had to do with, with peer groups and two of them had to do with family life. So the two that had to do with peer groups was online bullying, um, like social media, like type of stuff, um, bullying. Um, and also relationship problems with friends like classmates. So it could be in-person bullying. It could be a breakup with, you know, someone they're dating. It could be friend drama. And those two are pretty much obvious. Like I think anyone, and they even said in the article and in their, in their response to their studies um, or the report of their studies that these aren't like surprise, you know, like right. they're pretty well known, but the fact that they could predict with such high accuracy and the other two, had to do with family. One said if, if teenagers um, had homes that there's lots of constant fighting and arguing amongst the, the parental figures. And also the other predictor was if, you know, if there wasn't a father in the home, if it was a single family home, meaning like if, um, if there was just, you know, one, one parent raising the kids and there is no father in the home. Now, I mean, it, also- it, I will say that they did say the word, um, meals at tables, which, you know, is very triggering. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, they, they said that that had, not, that had nothing to do with the study. He just said like, <laughs> like you know, so um, if, if, uh, if, if kids, I like, could just have a meal at the table, like a, a family meal that that could help that kind of uh, camaraderie and communication. They said teenage girls have a higher probability of even feeling suicidal but those four categories were the categories that were the most present amongst, you know, the out of, I can't remember how many thousands, like 2,700. It was quite a large sample study of teens that they took this information from about personal information. Well, and, and what was, what was so interesting is as we tie this in and we're saying, look, we, as a state of Utah, where we've kind of been in this, a little bit of a panic place because we're hitting at the number one spot of suicides and the state and 
administ school administrations and like cities and uh, people are coming together kind of in this panic, like we have to do something about these kids who are taking their own lives. And, and so then it, it makes sense to like talk about um, what is the solution for somebody that is suicidal in that moment looking for um, and, and taking action, right? And, you know, as we have talked on this podcast, as David has talked for the, the, the years that we've been talking about this, we've been saying, wait, we need to backpedal and remember that the best suicide prevention is connection, right? And so to have this huge study come out and say, okay, the predictor is social health, fundamentally. Is, is what they didn't say saying. those words because they didn't have the words, but they you don't have the word social health, hey, right? But if you go and watch the case, so the interview, they're like, they're trying to find a way to describe it, but they did say that so this this could help communities, schools. They said it starts in the school and at home. Yeah, said those are the two best places to identify this. And they also said that this information they're hoping can help you know people put money into programs to help families and help schools. But in the article it did say the number one place to start is in the school because you, know, you know, you have the kids there anyways. And I was, you know, I was sitting there, you know, as we were listening to it months ago when it came out and then we're giving the presentation, I was like, man, I, you know, I'm just really hoping that this type of terminology and this language gets out sooner and later, because this language didn't come from David's brain, just sitting there going, Hey, I think this would be a cute thing to call this. I've been testing this with teenagers for years. I've been doing all these little focus groups throughout the years, trying to figure out what terminology fit what they were experiencing and was not triggering to them. Didn't come with any sort of stigma whatsoever was a terminology that just kind of just landed really easy when people heard it. And this was the one, and it really describes with the new research that's been coming out and not just this one, but in the past 10 years, there were social creatures. Everyone that's ever read a Brene Brown book, she talks about all the time, we're hardwired to connect. Everyone that's, you know, listened to Oprah or any sort of like, you know, um, podcast is talking about improving relationships. At the root of it, you improve, I mean, at the root of, you know, our, your struggles, you improve relationships and those struggles minimize at, at work. At, at, at the least, they're going to get less. At the best, they're not going to be existing anymore. Well, and one of the things, and you guys, if you've been a listener for a while, you've heard David talk about like, okay, if we compare suicide, a suicidal situation to the way that a cancer diagnosis comes in. And you guys have heard us talk about this for, for a long time, which is, you know, obviously in a, if you're being diagnosed with cancer in stage four, um, your resources and your options and your prognosis is is a lot more limited than when you're diagnosed at stage one right and so david um for the first time in any of our kind of um in our events with parents shared that information about these different stages of of wellness of mental health wellness really uh, stage four being like somebody's actually attempting stage one being like there's, there's 
stress happening and, and, um, you know, and then kind of that zero to four in, in between, um, he talked about that and you know, what was exciting for me is I stood there and I was watching the audience. Well, and, and by the way, just so everybody knows that's, that's listening to this, there's, we did a graph and it had emojis with different faces, like, you know, a little bit kind of meh, little sad, really sad, and then just not doing well at all, which was level four, right? And it, it's each graph was the audience, uh, Heidi saw about each graph had a description underneath it to identify what z level zero is, level one, two, three, and four. Well, and so I'm, you know, he's reading these descriptions. We've never shared it publicly outside the podcast. And, and actually the way that we described it in, in this time um, was even more probably pointed and descriptive and defining than um, even we've done here on the podcast. I think you've done a lot of effort to define those stages. Um, I could actually physically see light bulbs going off in people. And that was when people were coming up at the end and we were kind of talking about it. That was what people were like, oh, okay, I get it now. I understand why if we if we take take action when it's a stage one a stage two how different our action is at stage four you're right if if somebody's at stage four just like going out for ice cream isn't going to solve the problem but at stage one and two having these personal interactions, creating that level of trust, having these bonding connection experiences, doing highs and lows, having, you know, we talked about questions and statements and this is stuff that we're talking about all the time here on the podcast. It's always just so exciting for me to see those light bulbs going off. And I think that to come to the end of the year after you know, David, this, this will be the end of his third semester teaching, right? On the high school level. Semester. Yeah. Um, but I, it's a quarter class. So one, two, three, like four. Oh, so six like, quarters. Six quarters. So I've had, this will be my 12th end of teaching 12 classes. I mean, David, what do you think? And, and maybe you can kind of give a, like after teaching this 12 times and you've shared with me some really impactful moments in this um, last quarter, what would you say about, you know, the impact that it's making with these kids that, that you're teaching this curriculum to? Well, I can repeat what, I mean, I can't say every kid's, Come up, come up and told me this, but at least 80% of the kids I've taught. So out of 12 different classes, we're talking 35, what's, what's 35 or 40 times 12, Brandon? <laughs> Brandon I can, do the math on I can do the math. It's 480, it's 480. 480, so at least 480 students. And, and now those 480 students, I mean, at least 400 of them have came with me personally and have shared with me that this is, a, their favorite class, but not because it was necessarily an easy class or, you know, it was just like super fun. 
it was their favorite class because they felt like they really needed it. They learned something from it. Um, I get emails from parents and students all the time. They give out cards at school. Like kids will write cards at teachers whenever they're appreciative. Like Brandon knows I have a stack of cards, just kids saying things that they didn't say in class because they're too shy, but admitting later on how much they grasped from it, how much they learned from it. And it's only getting better because we're about, we're evolving the class. So I would say it's, it's the game changer. I'd say now after teaching this many times, it's going to change education and you can't stop it now. It's, it's too effective. The kids want it. They need it. Any adult that is skeptical or unsure, or maybe feels like this is flying in the face of what they want to come to the forefront to help kids. Hey, I get it. But if you sit in these classes, if you look at what we're teaching them, and if you look at their experiences, we're creating a social, we're creating a social laboratory in the school for these kids, not just to learn textbook information, but to get to practice it in the classroom. It's a multi-pronged approach. It takes multiple disciplines of psychology, a um, little bit of information from mental health, but it doesn't sound mental, right? It doesn't sound like, okay, today's topic is depression. We don't talk about mental health diagnosis. I don't want kids walking around trying to diagnose one another. We talk about family, friends, online relationships and their relationship with technology, just their phones and, and stuff like that, and the relationship that they have with themselves. And we go a couple laps around those two different, around those topics. And then we give them a couple of basic tools, social health tools that I've developed, you know, over the, over the years with all the support groups, the social, social health support groups, we give them those tools, kids come back and say, wow, I asked someone on a date using that tool. And I was so much more comfortable to ask them to the dance. I address this issue with my parents. They'll pull up text messages and say, Hey, I have this, this, you know, friend of mine that's saying these things to text. Can I use this tool? To help me respond to this text. Then they use the tool. They come back and they're like, Oh my gosh, it worked. Like they're blown away about how well and effective this works because this is, this is what they need today. This is not counseling or mental health therapy. This is social health tools and support to make their social experiences a lot better. And kids shy away from things that they're not good at and they're uncomfortable with. But there's not a kid out there that even that's shy to social experiences and say they don't need social, good social experiences. There's not one of them out there that would say, I would prefer to have no social skills and to be socially inept. They all wish that they had the skills. And those that are good socially, they wish they could help out their friends with social skills. They just don't know how to teach it to other people. Some kids just naturally have that, that gift of gab, but they, would, they don't really know how to tell their friends how to do it or how their friends could be more comfortable. And so the, the really outspoken kids in these classes learn to use their talents to help other people. And the kids who are shyer learn to speak out more. I compare it to uh, a study group in college or if you've ever had a study group for anything. When you're in the mix of a good study group, the people that there's always going to be people in the study group that know more. But that's not the point of the study group to brag about who knows more. The point of a study group is to access the part of the brain that is the social learning. And, and Dr. Lieberman, who I've talked about a lot in our presentations from UCLA, he runs a social health, he runs a social science laboratory in UCLA. He talks about that our social brain, and if you don't believe me, go just check out his TED talk, Dr. Matthew Lieberman, um, social superpowers, talks about there's two parts of our brain. One's the social part of our brain, one's the logical part of our brain. Says the social part of our brain can do the same learning as our logical part of the brain, except it can do it better. So if we're learning information, not just to memorize 
and to take a test, but we're learning it to benefit other people, then we retain the information better, hence a study group. If you're in a study group, I was always the stupidest kid in the study groups, but I was smart enough to go to us, but I was smart enough to go to the study group because I knew those kids had been studying a lot more than me. So almost almost like by osmosis in some weird way, I'd be in the group, they'd talk about it. I go, yeah. And so I'd ask a question, then a kid would explain it to me. I'm like, why didn't the professor explain it that way? Well, the kid was a peer of mine. So they knew how to explain it to me in a way that I'm like, oh, I felt less stupid. They felt a benefit because them being smart helped me. And when I got a good grade with them, not only was that a miracle that I got a good grade, they got to share my excitement. So it multiplied their self-worth. They had value because they could help someone else, not just themselves. Our brains throughout, his, throughout history has rewarded us for helping other people. Everyone has those experiences in life when you help other people. It makes you feel amazing. That's yeah. why when people are really self-centered and only care about themselves, it's kind of sad because they don't get to enjoy the full fruits of life. Life is better when we get to be a part of someone else's highs and their wins. So that's why when he talks about the social learning brain, what we do in this class is it's like having a big social study table for everybody in the class. A couple of the kids that were are privy to 1980s movies, they, they, they joked around and said, this is like the breakfast club. There's <laughs> a bunch of kids from all walks of life, all hanging out. And then they realize that they all are having the same troubles with family and friends. So they all put down their guard and then they start talking openly. And the trick is I have them play games. In fact, part of the class is they have to be social. They have to put down their phones and their assignment for the day is at the end of the day, they have 15 minutes at least to be social. And I walk around and tell them you have to talk to your neighbors. You have to hang out with each other. And at the end of the week, we play big Uno games, like huge Uno cards, huge Connect Four, huge Jenga, like six foot tall, like all these party games that are like icebreaker games. Um, you know, uh, uh, what's that exploding kittens, whatever. So like they have to play all these games together. And at first they're like socially awkward and uncomfortable. By the end of the games, they're dying, laughing, joking around. And they said, you know, what, Mr. Cos, it kind of reminds me of like when you're, when your parents are like, come on, play games with family. You're like, no, no, no. And then once you do, you have fun and they're like, okay, I'm kind of glad I did, but you didn't want to at first. That's how they're all experiencing it. Because when they're little, that was the best high in the world to play games with your family, to play games with your friends yeah. before, before social media took over our whole entire lives and before our phones just hijacked our brains. So we get to do this inside the school. Not only is it cool, these kids are learning something that they need every day, social competency. Yeah. Well, it's, it's been fun for me to hear your stories and my kids interact with kids who my kids don't go to Harriman anymore and they interact with kids that are in your classes and they're always um bragging about it and really enjoy it so I hear that positive feedback too yeah for um, this year though thanks for bringing that up that's been my biggest high because I don't even have to say my biggest high of 2021 looking back because everything that's been happening with the curriculum and social health has been it's, it's blowing my mind. I, I just love being in the education system. I love being a teacher. I love getting to practice all the stuff that I've used in the social health support groups at, you know, that I've ran for 10 years in my private practice and taking the school and making a curriculum out of it that helps kids with what I believe is arguably the most important subject of their life, relationship building. Well, and, and I think that, you know, as we kind of wrap up like our, our year, 
in review. To me, I think last year when we started and, and we were on that forum and we were talking about like, where do we see this going? Um, it wasn't like I knew where it was really going to go. But what's exciting is to see, I mean, it's, it's not there yet. We, and it's, um, but it's on a path. It's on like an actual path. Um, it brings me so much satisfaction. What I also saw um, on the flip side, not on the podcast side, is schools and communities having much more um, impact, much more real conversations, um, events that were dealing much more full frontally with suicide prevention, not kind of cowering, not kind of being afraid, but going out this and saying, you know, we're going to do this. We're going to invite everybody. We're going to say it loud and proud and apologetic, right? Just, yeah. And so as this is kind of happening in the world around us, we're having this, this decreased shame around saying the word suicide and, and being honest and real about the fact that, that we need to address it. Um, and then also kind of coming in with solutions that are causing light bulb moments and causing people to look at this from a different perspective because we had to, right. Um, last year, you know, we talked about like the, the social, what's that movie that came out on Netflix? The social dilemma and people kind of getting a lot more, um, questioning a lot more, um, social media, understanding how important human connection is. And, um, all of these things are kind of coming together, intertwining. And I feel like it's just like bolstering what we've been talking about. It's rewarding and encouraging at the same time. Um, I, I wound up in the ER, uh, last week, just sick. And I was afraid that I had strep throat. Um, which in fact, I wasn't, I did not, I I tested negative for strep. I tested negative for COVID, but I still felt like absolute crap. And it was just like, okay, you're sick. And um, I was talking to the ER doc for a while who happened to recognize me. So shout out to my ER doc because he's probably listening. Um, Big fan of the podcast. And he, he was sharing about how distressing it is to how many kids who how many, how many kids are still coming in to the ER? How many beds are taken um, at uni, at other facilities? Um, how hard it is for parents that are struggling with their kids to find resources that are available. Um, and so with all the positive things that's happening, the need is not decreasing. <laughs> um, we're learning more we're being more um, vocal about it. People are opening their eyes more, not kind of, um, it's not in the dark as much as it used to be, but it's still omnipresent. It's still necessary. Struggles are still very real, very significant. 
and our work is is not done. So in that, Heidi just committed to another 10 years of Light the Fight. <laughs> <laughs> you guys heard her say it. I heard she didn't say that 10 was, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm just putting the number in there. <laughs> At least one more year, right, Heidi? At least one there more year. There you go. There you go. Well, you know, I from behalf of me, and only me, because I can't speak from Heidi, but I'm sure she'll say something quite similar. Um, thank you guys for, for just, you know, listening to the podcast, sharing it with your friends, taking our crazy suggestions and uh, putting them to the test. Because I can sit up here and, and I can tell you about how cool these things are and how it's worked with my clients and how throughout the years I've found this to be a success, successful approach to helping people that are struggling and helping your kids and connect with your loved ones better. But the real test is, does it work for you at home? So thank you guys for, for putting it to the test and trying it. And um, because, you know, we can sit here and talk about it but it only is effective as you guys absorb it and take the risk and, and go first and, and model for your loved ones, model for your kids that you don't have to be perfect, but dang near perfect helps. Just kidding. Um, you don't have to be perfect, but just putting forth a good effort does get a lot of respect. When your kids and, and your loved ones see that you're making changes for their betterment and for your betterment, people notice that. And when people notice that, they will follow you. When you give that good example, you are modeling for them the behavior that you would like them to have. That's why if we're to sum up anything on our podcast. We're to sum up our podcast. Like, what does your podcast teach parents? Say, teach them how to model for all the people in their lives, the behavior that they want from those people. Right? That'd be safe to say, Heidi, that yeah. it's mostly about yeah. modeling, not trying to control or teach people how to be better kids or how to meet your needs. but how to work with them and how to have relationships that they can look at you and say, wow, okay. And now I see how to do it because they're actually living it themselves. Well, and, and I would venture to say that every one of you who are listening from wherever you're listening from, whatever the dynamic or the circumstances that you find yourself in, or that has brought you to this podcast, you have an opportunity to, Add energy into the solution um, by talking about it, talking to your family about it, talking to your friends about it. Um, you know, if you have influence in schools with teachers, with, you know, the, the people who are run the football program your kid's in or the, the dance program or um, a church program. Just keep talking about this, keep sharing, keep shining a light. And as we move forward into 2022, um, we're going to continue to go up against all the things that we're, that, that we're facing, um, political, you know, virus stuff, um, struggles with connection and social media and masks and vaccines. And like, none of this is going away. Um, mental health is still going to continue to be something underserved. And as we 
continue to talk about it. Every single one of us has an opportunity to just move the needle forward. And I just, I invite you guys to just continue to be in this fight with us, in this fight of talking and decreasing the stigma, decreasing the shame and promoting understanding, promoting education, promoting the fact that change can happen. We don't have to just accept what has been or where it is. And uh, we're going to keep year after year, we're going to keep seeing this increase and improve if, if we'll all work together. Well, um, one final shout out uh, for all you listeners out there. If you want to continue this conversation with us, basically after every podcast, we do an extra little bonus episode on Patreon. Just go to www.patreon.com backslash light the fight. Costs five bucks a month, but you get to hear Heidi and I jabber more. So there you go. (laughs) And a big shout out to Lingo, Eyewear. And light and light the fight <laughs> and one 800 contacts for their sponsorship and their support without them, we would not be here. So go to lingo eyewear.com. If you need dope glasses, huge backslash light the fight, and it'll take you right there. And the code name is light the fight for $30 off your first pair of sun. Well, first pair of glasses, not necessarily sunglasses. So could be sunglasses. It could be want. sunglasses though. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So thanks to our sponsors. Thanks to all them and Heidi. Why don't you go and end it for us for the year 2021 ball drop. You guys, thank you forever for helping us to light the fight.